Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man uh, that you chose to be king over your people. We ask this morning that we would learn from him, that we would learn about him, that we would be pointed to the Lord Jesus as our king, and that we would desire, like Solomon did, a heart that listens and is prepared to sit humbly under you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I, well, let me add my welcome. My name is David Blouse. I'm one of the staff members here. And uh, these next two weeks, we're having a little bit of a break uh, from sort of regular programming. We've just finished the book of 1 John. Uh, that was a ripper series. If you missed that, it's all online. You can go back and listen to it. And next term, we're going to spend the whole term in Proverbs. Uh, if, if you want words for, for daily practical living, then uh, next term is going to be full of it. Uh, so this week and next week, we're going to spend the time learning about Solomon. Uh, he's the man who wrote the vast majority of the Proverbs. And I, I wanted kind of three outcomes from these next two days. I want us to learn a little bit about Solomon himself and learn about the man and uh, the, the, both the successes and the failures. And this week is the success and next week is the failure. Uh, I want us, secondly, to learn not just about him, but lessons from his life. What is it that we can seek to emulate? In what ways can we be like him? And I want us then to be pointed towards Jesus uh, as, the, as the one who is the king that Solomon in the end couldn't be. Uh, and we'll see that over the next couple of weeks as well. So we are going to be reading through that passage in 1 Kings chapter 3 again. You will find it helpful to have a Bible and the outline, the bulletin on the way, and we'll have an outline of where we're going. I don't think I need to convince you of this fact, but we live in a complicated world. Life is complicated. If I just think about the last 48 hours, there's nothing special about the last 48 hours. I'm just picking the last 48 hours, right? We've... Wendy became a grandmother again, right? See, I mean, life is complicated, right? The sorts of things that happen. My examples were all way lamer than that. I mean... No, we're done. Wendy made my point for me. Life is complicated. Right? We had to make decisions uh, about where to plant an apricot tree. Right? There's just the sorts of things. Is, my, I told you mine was lamer than hers. Uh, uh, there were extended family members to talk about property matters with. And we had to work out a, a conflict between other family members about money. And there were, it, it's just complex. The world is a complicated place. Our lives are complicated lives. Even religion is complicated. And we'll see a little bit more about that in a moment. I want you to stop for a moment and ponder. In the midst of a complicated world, what is it that we need to flourish? What is it that we need not just to be able to navigate the complexities, but to truly flourish? What do you need in your life? I mean, it's, it's, it's a hypothetical rhetoric question out there somewhere. What do you need in your life to flourish in the midst of complexity? Imagine for a moment, God comes down this morning and uh, he plonks himself down next to you in the pew. He looks a lot like Robin Williams for some reason uh, and he's, he's big and blue. And he says, I'm going to give you one wish. You get one thing. What do you want? Blank check. God, signed by God, right? You're getting it. What is it that you need in your life? Or perhaps what is it just that you want? That's the question we're going to ponder this morning. What is that thing that you need? Now, just like our lives are complicated, Solomon's life 
was complicated. And in fact, his life was complicated in a way that's, if anything, greater than ours. Now, as we pick it up in chapter 3, we're kind of picking it up halfway through the story. Well, not halfway through, that's the start of the story. But chapters 1 and 2 set up Solomon gaining the throne. Uh, He's probably around about 20 years old at this stage. I've got a little timeline for you. Here we go. Uh, there you go. That's kind of where we're talking. You can see on the right are the major events in bold that had been happening. So the Exodus, right, as they left Egypt, God gave them the law. They entered the promised land. And then on the left, or your left, you'll see the, uh, the kind of the people. So Solomon, you'll notice, is the third of the kings. There was Saul and then David, and Solomon was David's son. So we're talking around about a thousand years before Jesus. So that those numbers are back to front. They're negative numbers because they're before Jesus, right? So Solomon reigned from around about 970 to around about 930. He was probably 20 or so years age when he took the throne. And even the beginning of his reign was complicated. See, Solomon wasn't the eldest. There were a couple of brothers who were older than him. A couple of them had already died. And his elder brother had tried to take the throne as David was old and dying. His half-brother, really, the son of his father. And so David had said, no, you, the older one, aren't going to have the throne. You, Solomon, you're going to have the throne. You sit down and shut up. Your brother is going to reign. Now, what happened is that the brother who kept usurping David's throne tried to usurp Solomon's throne and so Solomon had him executed now you think your life is complicated this guy started his reign at the age of 20 years old by having his half-brother executed and it kind of didn't stop there because there were a whole bunch of David's old advisors who had attached themselves to this other brother who also kept trying to overthrow the throne so Solomon had a whole bunch of his dad's mates executed as well life for Solomon was complicated and we get a sense in these first three verses of just how complicated it must have been have a look 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1 note it just I mean let's read it Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married his daughter He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. You want to talk about a complicated life. The guy makes an alliance with Pharaoh of Egypt. Did you note, by the way, just on that little picture, the very top thing that happened up on the top right there, the Exodus? Do you remember what that was about? It's okay if you don't, I'll tell you. Israel was slaves in Egypt. Such that God came along and said to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so God brought those very famous ten plagues upon Egypt, including the death of the firstborn in every household, even the household of Pharaoh. That Egypt. Now we're 400 years, 500 years later. I take it their memory isn't necessarily all that long. But here is Solomon marrying the daughter of the pharaoh of egypt life was complicated he embarked upon building quests the likes of which you and i are highly unlikely to even if your name is james mayfield right this bloke he built a palace and a temple and a defensive wall around the whole of jerusalem i reckon you're not far off it mate but you're not quite there right his life was even more complicated than yours massive construction plans 
Look, our lives are unlikely to be quite that complicated. Few of us are going to have to go and marry the daughter of a foreign ruler for political sake. Anyone? Like, I don't, I don't think any of us are going to fall. And you've got plans for your kids. Sure. The, the kingdom of white is, uh, has, is grand, grand expansion plans. And yet, we, are, we just live complicated lives. The decisions we have to make, the money that we have to manage, where to live, how to live, what are we going to do for our children, with our children, the relationships that we encounter or that we allow ourselves to have or that we want to pursue, the conflict that inevitably occurs, even with our nearest and dearest. Even our hobbies somehow end up being complicated in life. The things that should just be fun and simple and mindless end up just being complicated. Partly, I think, it's just the nature of creation. We are made in the image of God, and I take it that that means, at least in part, we are creators. Not the big creator, God is the big creator, but because we are like him, we seek to make things. Whether it's the physical things that we make, right? I do some carpentry and I make a desk. Whether it's ideas that we come up with. Whether it's families that we create or a legacy that we want to leave behind. It brings complexity. But it's also partly because of the fall. Life is hard. Work is a struggle. And I've got to tell you, Christianity doesn't fix complexity. Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't all of a sudden make the paths of life just straight and smooth and easy. No more problems, no more difficulties. In fact, often becoming a Christian makes life more complex. All of a sudden, Jesus is calling upon us to live a certain way that is at odds to everything else around us. It doesn't make it easier, it makes it way, way harder. Life is complicated. Religion is complicated. Look at verse 2, it was complicated back then, it's still complicated today. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. The temple was coming. Solomon would build it. God had promised. If you're not familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, you need to go and read it. It contains one of the single greatest promises in the whole of the Bible. I'm not making that up. 2 Samuel chapter 7 contains one of the single biggest promises in the whole of the Bible. Don't read it now, right? But write it down and go, yeah, I know what you're all doing there. You're like, oh, what's he saying about it? Right, go and read it later. But it includes in it the promise that the son of David, Solomon, would build the temple. It's coming. But religion is complicated. What are the people doing? sacrificing at the high places i mean you know what the high places were they were the places where the canaanites had their temples where the canaanites did their sacrifices to their foreign gods the high places were the places you can go look it up deuteronomy 12 if you want where god said to israel when you go into the promised land destroy them just get rid of them Do not worship the idols of the nations of the lands that you're going to go and take over. Don't do it. Just just blitz it all. Israel's worshipping at the high places. There is always a great temptation to worship God my way. It was a temptation that existed back then and it is a temptation that still exists today. 
I want things between me and God to happen my way. I mean, just think about church for a moment. Just, just stop and reflect upon a church service. You know, if you're into music and music matters to you, then all of a sudden, music at church needs to be my way. Whether it's we sing in a cappella four-part harmony, well, that's us, isn't it? No, that's not quite us. Or, or we have to have the organ and only the organ. That's the only instrument. It's kind of like that's the holy side of music and that's the unholy side, right? You've got, you got these, these drums and electric guitars and no, not allowed. Oh, but no, actually, no, we have to have drums and electric guitars for the sake of the young people. They need to feel included. The organ is old-fashioned. We shouldn't do that anymore. You, get your mu- you talk about liturgy. Oh, no, we have to we have, to have the, the formal words. We have to have the approved words, right? Th- this, it has to be, a service has to be. No, we can't have these words. We have to have informality. We have to be accessible and welcoming, and everybody needs to feel part of it and not say rote words. That We have to have formality in church. We, it's serious business. We're here to meet with God, and it must be, oh, no, we can, we can chat and hang out because we're family, and we're just building with each other, and... And so often it's just my preference. Religion is complicated. We struggle to learn, it feels sometimes, that the worship of God is really at heart very simple. The true worship of the living God has nothing to do with what happens in church. True worship of the living God is a life lived in trust and obedience to Jesus. If you think that you come to church to worship and then you walk back out the door and you can stop worshipping, you have misunderstood Jesus. You can come to church and not trust in Jesus and do all the forms, all the rituals, all that you like, and that is not worship. You can walk out the door and be a garbage collector, a mechanic, a firewoman and live in trust and obedience and be worshipping every moment of every day. But religion is complicated. What do we need to see us through it? Even the love of God is complicated. Even loving God is complicated. Look at verse 3. All of this is just building to make that point that life is complicated, right? I told you didn't really need to convince you of it, but I'm trying anyway. Solomon says, verse 3, right? Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Even loving God has this twist to it in Solomon's life. It's a phenomenal phrase, that one. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking. I think Solomon is the only person in Israel's history, the Old Testament, who is described as loving the Lord. I mean, how's that for a... I'd happily have that on my tombstone. No, not, not Solomon loved the Lord, right? David loved the Lord. There were plenty of other people who, who loved God. I'm not saying he was the only guy who loved God, but he's the only one of whom these words are spoken, loved the Lord. And did you note how he showed his love? This shouldn't be a surprise to you. Right? If you've been here through 1 John, he showed his love by walking according to the statutes of his father, by obeying God. We've seen that time and time again. To love God is to obey him. And you know, beautifully, even more important than this verse, is the fact that God loved Solomon. At his birth, back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
as Solomon is born, as he comes out of the womb, this little baby, God loved Solomon. In one sense, we could say that Solomon knew something of the Christian experience. We loved because he first loved us. Solomon loved God, but he was first loved, which is a good thing because Solomon in the end will fail. The blessings were dependent upon God, not upon Solomon. For did you see that little note there? Accept that. The complexity of religion had grabbed even Solomon such that he offered sacrifices and burnt offerings in the high places. Sin messes it up. Now we're going to look at more of that next week. We come to chapter 11, I think. And where it is that Solomon failed. Life's complicated. Even religion is complicated. Even loving God is complicated. What is it that's going to help us to navigate this complexity? God literally gave Solomon the one wish talk. The blank check. Look at verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Young king, 20 years old, enemies left, right and center. A great people as he's about to answer. What do you say for What do you say? Now, of course, we know what Solomon said. We know the answer. We read the story. It's famous. It's proverbial. But I want you to think again about you and your life and your complexity and your circumstances. Money? I mean, a cool billion bucks. Thank you, God. Money will solve all my problems. Right relationships? Can you you just... What was that? That was one of the things that the genie in Aladdin said he couldn't do, right? What was that? We're not going to kill anyone. Can't make someone fall in love. Is there a third one? Ah, rise from the dead. Ah, God will do all of those. Right? What are you going to do? What does Solomon answer? He says, verse 6, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Solomon is very well aware of where the blessings to David came from. David was a faithful man. David lived righteously. David obeyed God. Now, verse 7, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child. Do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant, literally, a listening heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Is that what you would have asked for? Give me a listening heart. Now, Solomon doesn't mean a listening heart in the sense of being a really good listener. I'm going to have a cup of tea with you and sit down and I'll do some active listening and make sure that you feel well heard. Right? A listening heart that begins with listening to God. He's well aware that it is the righteous one, the faithful one, the one who listens and obeys God who is blessed. What he's asking for is the ability to sit under God. 
to be humble before God, to listen with all that he is and all that he has. See, Solomon realizes that what he needs is not from within. We live in the age of self-realization. Our schools are full of it. Uh, sorry, not, not full of it, you know what I mean, full of it. I mean, full of self-realization and, and, and the potential, right? Be who you want to be. We're going to release the full potential from within you so that you can grow and become a beautiful butterfly or whatever it is that you want to be these days, right? You can be anything. You can be anyone. That's not true, is it? But Solomon realized that that's not what he needed at all. See, he knew God is there. God is real and present and God is not silent. God speaks and the word of God is the single most powerful thing that this universe has ever experienced or will ever know. For the word of God creates out of nothing. The word of God gives life to the dead. The word of, law, the, the word of God restores and trains and equips and strengthens and builds. The word of God is what Solomon needed above all else. The word of God is what we need. Give me the ability to listen. In fact, give me a listening heart, not just the ability to recite facts. Maybe you're the kind of person who can play a game on their phone and listen at the same time and recount the entire sermon afterwards. And that's great. Good on you if you can. But a listening heart is somebody who will be transformed by what they hear. Not just facts, knowledge, but change from the inside such that that person will be able to distinguish between right and wrong. To be so open to God's word that we are changed, we are given wisdom. Is that what you thought of? Is that what you thought of that you needed? I jumped too quickly myself to my own solution. Religion's complicated, I want to do it my way. I jump too quickly to looking at the problems and thinking to myself, I just need this or that or the other. Whereas Solomon reminds us that what we need is God and God's character. We need to listen to God. We need to hear God. We need to have hearts that sit under his word. Such that as he changes us, what matters then is the type of person that we become. The complexities that are presented to us, what is right and what is wrong, what is the path to take and the path not to take. Is something that we have the wisdom that we need. Do I choose the shopper for food or the shopper for clothes? Although if you're hungry, you probably might not think, you might be able to think rationally enough when you go shopping for clothes anyway. That happens in our family all too often. (laughs) Don't shop when you're hungry. There you go. There's, there's There's sermon advice for you. Not wise. See, the gospel of Jesus really is a call to listen. That's what the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is. Come and listen to the one who speaks for God. You're going to read John chapter 8 verses 25 to 28 sometime. A crowd comes and asks Jesus, who are you? Jesus says, you'll see. Just wait for me to die. You'll see. I am the one who speaks what he hears. What God says, Jesus presents. See, Solomon knew the task before him, right? 
Who is able to govern this great people of yours, he says. This multitude with all their issues. Who can do it? And in the end, the answer, unfortunately, wasn't Solomon. He did pretty good. He built a pretty good kingdom. But in the process, he took people away from God. That's not a good king. The Lord Jesus is the one who could. And what's the outcome of his request? Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. I didn't think about that one. could have asked for the death of my enemies. Anyway, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you, and note that God is the one who calls it wisdom. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, that you will, there will be never anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, riches and honour. And in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways, then I will give you a long life. You can have what you ask for. You may have wisdom. Wisdom begins with listening to God. In fact, as we come to Proverbs, we'll hear the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Relating rightly to God is where it all begins. You want to know the thing that you need to navigate the complexities of life, to flourish in the midst of it? It begins with the right relationship with God, that you might listen to Him. As the Gospel writer puts it in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. I take it this was Solomon seeking first the kingdom of God. And what's the promise in Matthew? All these other things, they'll be added to you. Don't worry about what to eat or what to wear. God knows you need those things. Seek his kingdom. All this will be added to you. Solomon says, I want to have a heart that listens. I want to sit under you, grow in righteousness like David did. And God says, good. That's what you need to do. The rest, you can have that too. Well, what do we learn? What do we learn today? We learn about a man who was loved by God and so in turn loved God. We learn about a man who recognized the complexity of life that lay before him and was already wise enough to know that what he needed to navigate that complexity was the ability to sit under God's word, that it might bring him the knowledge of good and evil, the distinction between right and wrong, that it might teach him how to live. But we also learn about Solomon, we get a little hint of the flaws. Marrying a foreign woman, despite all the things that God had told them not to do. Allowing the people to worship at the high places, himself joining them. We'll see more of that next week. What do we learn for us? Well, I hope you were listening as James chapter 1 was read for us. I hope you heard the promise in there. See, what God gave Solomon, this, this is truly mind-blowing, God offers you. Isn't that amazing? God gave Solomon wisdom that made him incomparable. In the history of humanity, right? Wisest man that ever lived. I don't take it by that that God means he, he bumped his IQ up by a couple of hundred points or, or, or like plugged an encyclopedia into his head or something. He gave him a listening heart, gave him an attitude that would sit under God and learn from God. God promises you that if you will but come and ask, he will give you wisdom. That's amazing. 
But note from James 1 how you are to ask. Don't be double-minded. Don't be the person who comes and says to God, can I please have your wisdom? It'll be a lovely little repository to have. And every now and then, I'll come and use a little bit of the wisdom, if that's okay with you. But then the rest of the time, I'll just go and do my own thing. Is that all right? That's how it works, right? I can do that. I can be double-minded. I can have your mind for a little while, and then I can just go and have my own mind for a little while. Is that, is that okay? God says no. If that's you, don't expect to get anything. If you want to come and ask God for wisdom, then what you are saying to God is, I'm going to commit myself to your wisdom. You're going to tell me how to live? I will live it. You're going to tell me how to be? I will be that sort of person. Are you going to tell me what priorities my life ought to have? Those are the priorities it will have. Single-minded, committed to, determined to live out the wisdom that God gives. Then to you God says, yes, you can have my wisdom. In the end, the king that Israel needed, of course, was never a human king. Right from the time when they first asked for a king. Give us a king like all the other nations, they said. And God just went, Ugh, you don't need a king like all the other nations. You need a king like God. <laughs> we need God. We need God's king. We need the king who was as wise as Solomon, if not greater. The one who truly had the listening heart. who could truly govern God's people. We need a king who is the Lord Jesus, the one who reigns even still today. Thing from Solomon today as we swap microphones. Next week, we're going to see that for all of his wisdom, for all the blessings that God gave him, for all the things, listen to this description of Solomon by the end of chapter 4. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including, just in case, right, including Ethan the Esrahite, wiser than Heman, wiser than Calcol and Dada, the sons of Mahol. Right, yeah. His fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by the kings of the world who had heard of it. For all of his wisdom, next week we will hear how Solomon fell. You might want to read chapters 5 through to 10 just to get the story before we go there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Solomon. We thank you for the example he is to us of a man who knew what he needed in the face of the complexity of life. Father, make each of us single-minded in our desire to be righteous and so in our request for wisdom that we would not be double-minded and tossed around, but instead dedicated to you, to your ways. Give each one of us listening hearts to hear you and to obey. Amen.